I was thinking about deck boxes and stuff the other day because like Kristen is really into crafting and we were just like talking about things that could be crafted and like all the deck boxes all the like nice custom deck boxes and stuff you can buy are all like leather and like wood cut with a dragon on them and stuff and I feel like it would just be really nice if you could buy like a deck box with like a floral print cloth wrapping or something like that and it's really like kind of odd that those don't exist i think like like a floral like a floral dragon i don't i don't quite understand some sort of floral goblin (laughs) yes (laughs) can i make fun of you for this uh bullet point on your ccr cq win yeah thank you there i didn't actually notice that until just now (laughs) uh solitude is so good wtf lol (laughs) ccr you've been living on this world since 2021 for like over but my entire like role in playing modern magic up until this point has been trying to make solitude like the least good against me in any given game that i possibly can and then when you're like playing a game and you know your opponent like for a turn kind of has to put the shields down or like forgets about solitude or something you're like oh wow like I now have an opening to solitude ephemerate here and just plague wind your board or even just like to to solitude at some point in the game or you hit five mana and your removal spell is now this card advantage that like oh my god like (laughs) can you guys believe this it's it's like (laughs) that Naruto scene where what's the guy's name rock whatever he like like (laughs) drops drops the the weights and they and everybody's like oh those little weights like whatever and then there's just like these big explosions because they were like 500 (laughs) i have seen okay i've seen gifs of this so i i know the scene despite never watching a single episode so anyways putting uh, putting solitudes in your deck is just dropping the weights off this card is just (laughs) unbelievably (laughs) messed up I had my I had my solitude. Oh my god, solitude is good moment playing Lutri a lot. Is that I've never hard cast solitude quite as much as playing playing it in the Lutri deck because you know you can you got to scrap together whatever win con you can. And it turns out a three two lifelink pretty good win con. Yeah, it'll get you there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm over here in my fantasy world where I've just been casting ephemerate in solitude for like years. <laughs> <laughs> Not very often because I don't enjoy it very much, but it is it is bonkers. I mean, I was resistant to it. I guess we should like start the episode and start talking about my my RCQ experience. I, no, I just wanted to make fun of you before we had started the episode yeah, yeah, officially. Yeah. You know? I just don't want to. You know, this conversation will naturally flow into my registering five times Wall of Omens and winning an RCQ. <laughs> so we should get to that Indeed. topic, I guess. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 282 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hello, Chris. And we are also joined by one Collins Mullen. Collins is back. Hey Collins. Hey, it's me. Maybe a familiar voice for some. I'm back. I don't know how many new listeners we've picked up like in the post Collins era <laughs> that we have kind of like uh, yes. plateaued. The, 
the heavy tournament scene of of COVID really helped, I'm sure. Yeah. Once, you know, competitive magic died for two years, we probably were not really expanding our audience. Whoa, whoa, let's be clear. It didn't die, it was killed. Yes. It was, yes, it was (laughs) killed indeed. So just to catch everybody up on the plan, we are trying to, as part of our, like, you know, podcast expansion efforts get some regular contributors and collins has agreed to come back and be a regular guest or guest host or whatever to talk about the magic that he has been playing because you know you're coming back and actually playing some amount of competitive magic at least focusing on rcqs and regional championships and stuff and you're qualified for the next regionals and so we are going to talk about some standard and the prep that you've been doing today yeah i'm back i'm playing tournaments I'm going to be flying out to San Diego in about a month to compete in uh, some standard um, and pretty excited about that. Standard has been strong recently from my experience um, and yeah, it's, it's good to have standard back. It's it's like an old comfort. It's been a while since I played some 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 grindy mid-range suits. Some three, four, five mana spells all in the same deck. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so we will definitely spend most of this episode talking about Standard. I did... I am not going to San Diego, unfortunately, but I did just win a modern RCQ this past weekend for Dallas. So, hey, we'll do like, you know, a couple minutes of a victory lap segment for that. What did you play? Okay, so <laughs> the I, I ask because if I weren't there watching the entire top eight, <laughs> yeah, you've watched both of my RCQ wins so far, so that is pretty cool. I appreciate your support. The impetus behind my deck choice here is that every other modern deck that I play just kind of gets crushed by Rakdos scam, and I just wanted to register anything that my opponent could play a Black Cleave Cliffs, and I'd be like. That's fine. I'm not mad about this situation. So I saw Respect the Cats, Elish Norn focused Omnath deck that was running a bunch of Eldritch Evolutions and a bunch of Wall of Omens. And I thought this looks like it's pretty good against Scam because Fury is only medium good against you. You can get griefed and then all of your cards draw cards and you can just like play this very long game against them. And uh, it worked out. I only played against Scam once in the Swiss, but I played against it in the semifinals of the tournament as well and won both matches, which, you know, my opponent was very good. And I don't think that I would have been likely to beat him twice with a deck that was not reasonable against Scam. So living in would not have been my choice for this weekend. And yeah, man, playing Solitudes after you know, scrapping together wins with not solitudes really is a goofy feeling experience. It's it's your come to solitude moment, really. Come come to solitude. I went ahead and bought the solitudes because our friend Wit, who I was borrowing most of the cards from, was playing his solitudes, so I had to Smart just Smart decision. Bite the bullet, buy solitudes. I'm now a twenty for twenty <laughs> elementals owner at this point, because <laughs> You know, they are the five best cards in modern, in my opinion, and now <laughs> I've played them all. Uh, and yeah, Casting Solitude, Ephemerating Solitude. The one thing that I think I might change about this deck is I think that maybe if I do play it at Charlotte this weekend, I may put an Atraxa in there 
you can evolution your solitude into Atraxa and also is just a way to close out games, which even with Elish Norn helping Omnath out, which I think it makes a big difference in actually closing out games, I still basically played 50 minutes every single round except for one round where I, you know, quickly 2 out an opponent. Every other one, like I was using the entire clock and so having a big win condition in the deck might be helpful for a long two-day tournament. Wait, so can you give me a brief overview of this deck? I've taken a glimpse of the deck list, but yeah. um, it's pretty new, right? In terms of uh, it is, existence. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's pulling from an old well, which is Evoke Elementals and Omnath. But yeah. the way that this one is based around is you're running a lot of Cantrip 2 drops, uh, five total Wall of Omens, and you're also running four Ice Fang Quaddles. Uh, you're running a bunch of Eldritch Evolutions, a couple of Mopey Value-y three drops, and you're basically Eldritch Evolutioning your cards into Omnaths and Elish Norn. And what Elish Norn does is make your Omnath, so you don't even have to fetch to get mana out of a land drop. You just gain four life and get mana. And getting Omnath out a turn early makes it really easy to just, like, kind of do nutty stuff. Like, I had one game where I kind of had... I, I had a, a wall of roots out, or a wall of omens out. At the end of my opponent's turn, I Eladomri's called, and then on my fourth turn, I played Eldritch Evolution, sacrificed my wall, got an Omnath, and then I fetched and then played Elish Norn, and then passed with like two gigantic threats in play, one of which like drew me a card. And Elish Norn uh, is very large. Yeah. And and only one of my opponents like successfully removed Elish Norn on the day. And that was my scam opponent who had like four terminates post board. <laughs> it was a lot of terminates. <laughs> yeah. I played against a creativity opponent who did creativity away my Elish Norn, but just turned it into an Omnath. So then I just killed them with the <laughs> Omnath. So I, I saw the end of that game. It was funny. They targeted a double creativity or they targeted Elish Norn with the double creativity. You revealed like three cards before fighting an Omnath. And then your opponent just scooped. <laughs> <laughs> can't beat that one either yeah uh so a a pretty simple deck overall you f you find yourself with like like you can cast evolution and it's like oh yeah i could have all of these options but actually there's only two cards you really ever want to get except for the one time that i had omnath in play and a second omnath in hand and an evolution so i evolution an omnath into an eternal witness so i could just like keep the card <laughs> train rolling <laughs> But the deck was really cool, very fun, and uh, I appreciate it being only three colors and not a Leyline Binding deck so that the fetching is only, like, you know, a four-piece puzzle rather than, like, an eight-piece puzzle. Like, I still managed to, like, have some sub-optimal fetching because I was, like, fetching around Blood Moon a little harder than I should have in my finals and then, like, left myself unable to cast my spells at exactly the right time, which was unfortunate, but, you know it was okay because it was a long slow game yeah well cool i do like the i, I haven't seen what respect the cuts done i haven't really looked but i do think you need some one one other top end card uh than yeah. just one nellish norn i felt like if your hellish norn was ever dealt with so, like god forbid your hellish norn was dealt with but if it was your deck just like could not finish in time <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really true. I think you can solve that by just playing a second Elish Norn or playing like a second Eternal Witness or playing an Atraxa. Like there's a lot of ways that you can make this work for you. Uh, yeah, I agree. But I do think you need one more. 
Yeah. Or at least I, from the deck list you were playing. Yep. I, I think one more is is good. I think possibly I'm just going to cut the Ether Channeler for another Eternal Witness might be the, the easiest thing. Or or the, the Night of Autumn for an Eternal Witness. And the Ether Channeler was actually okay. I managed to, like cast it against creativity to bounce a fable token and then leave up ephemerate and my opponent just kind of like felt like they had to go for creativity on a dwarf and then i just bounced the dwarf too and it was it was a pretty gross sequence <laughs> but i'm not sure that like either channeler was not the most impressive card in the deck so yeah it's like one of those toolbox seed techie cards that never really feels good but is right. probably worth having around maybe i don't know Casting it and it being a blocker for a Turok on one turn was, like, kind of helpful. Eternal Witness does that, yeah. too. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, and and the bird is white, so that doesn't block Turok either. Oh, yeah. Can you choose different modes with Elishnorn? No. And no, it has to be the same mode, but it can be... It just copies whatever yeah. you've chosen. Okay. Yeah. It's the same as when you copy a spell. Like, if you copy yeah, yeah, a Cryptic yeah. Command or whatever. Who's ever copied Cryptic Command? <laughs> L- hey, Lutri copies Cryptic Command pretty well, actually. <laughs> yeah, I s- specifically picked an example that Collins might be familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to keep those modes, too. Bouncing multiple lands with a Lutri copied Cryptic Command oh. feels very good. Yeah, that sounds yeah. nice. You're usually winning those games anyways because you have seven, seven mana, mana and your opponent is mana screwed. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it's like the sequence, you know, when you have Elish Norn and Omnath out and then you can just have a fetch land up that represents like hard cast solitude. It's like, yes, this feels really good, but it kind of didn't really matter that much what cards I had here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, congratulations, CC. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to go to Dallas and, you know, I have some other good friends qualified, so it should be a really nice trip in, I don't know, should be good. How much longer do we have in this RCQ season? I am not sure. That was like possibly the last RCQ that I was going to be able to make it to. So yeah, good to capitalize on that. Good timing for sure. I I don't know. It's hard to keep track of all the, honestly, the dates Watsi puts out are hard to find. So I mostly just judge by the last promo card I saw them advertise, <laughs> like Thing of the Ice. Yeah. And that has worked kind of. I haven't seen another one after that. Oh, also congratulations to Alan, who drove to Roanoke the day after, and uh, <laughs> Kenny went with him for moral support and then gave us updates in the Discord as Alan took down that RCQ. <laughs> I did enjoy that, yeah. That was, did you that was did you know that Kenny played Alan in round one and conceded and to him? scooped to him? Yeah. I did know that, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I gotta get that lunch value. That's insane emotional support right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a true friend. Um, Standard? Standard, yeah. Do you want to start walking us through? How do you want to sort of arrange this discussion? Yeah, I'll just talk a little bit, I guess. Let, let me let me paint a picture of what I know about Standard, which is just oh, good. deck lists. Like, I, I'm the everyman here. I have only looked at Standard deck lists. I do not see gameplay. I just see, like, mid-range soldiers and then decks with Atraxas thrown in it. So paint paint me a picture. What's going on in standard? I'll paint you a picture. Okay, so we are early days in the standard format. And typically early on in standard formats, it's what I call mid-range soup. Is that everybody is playing this good mid-range deck. 
Yeah, we, when you can start with Fable of the Mirror Breaker and Shieldred, like, yeah. you can just kind of, like, fill in cards and then you end up with a playable mid-range deck. So, like, we're, we're in mid-range soup phase where everybody's kind of, like, remembering the Grixis mid-range deck of the previous standard format and seeing all the same cards and being like, okay, yeah, this is good. This is probably what we should do. And it's, it is pretty reminiscent of the, the teamer energy stuff that was going on a long time ago, particularly because we have Corpse Appraiser, which is like <laughs> the three mana beater, three power. That the draws spiritual a card. successor to Rogue Refiner. Yes, exactly. There are a couple of different mid-range styles that you can pick from right now. Grixis is the most popular one, and Grixis is kind of broken down into some subcategories that we can get into as well. Mainly, like, what does your top end look like? In these Grixis decks. And people are going a couple of different directions. The fanciest that I've seen involves Atraxa and the Cruelty of Gix. So you're kind of using your Fables and your Blood Tokens to discard Atraxa and reanimating it with Cruelty of Gix. But people are still trying to figure out what their mana base wants to look like there. Do they just want to be Grixis mana? Do they just want to be red-black mana? And do they even want to try to hardcast an Atraxa, or do they just want to purely try to just reanimate it? Because there is a lot of incidental discard. Um, and then there's the pure Grixis list, which is not bothering with Atraxa, and its top end is another card I don't remember the name of, the Quad Black. Invoke Despair? Invoke Despair, yes. So Invoke Despair is another like really good top end that I like a lot. And you can kind of go a couple of different ways with utilizing your Invoke Despair. Uh, I've even seen some people playing Galvanic iterations to try to copy them, which is <laughs> another like... So that's kind of like the two different versions of Grixis. And then there's Mono White Midrange, which is another like over-the-top deck. Um, just trying to play all of the extremely valuable heavy top-end white cards with the new, the new Planeswalkers that are really strong. Then there's also this Esper midrange deck that is kind of trying to utilize these powerful mono-white cards in a black shell and also trying to utilize some like incidental counterspells as well. Uh, that one's less popular, but it exists as part of like the midrange stuff. There's also a version of that deck that's like all creatures, like almost all yeah. legends. Yeah, Esper that's... Legends is another... Yeah, because yeah, there's the new land, right? Which is... Plaza of Heroes is legitimately just a, an incredible card. It's very yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. You can sacrifice it to protect your legends, which is feels really nasty when you can ever untap with a shieldred. It just feels like the game is over because if you don't deal with the shieldred, you're just going to die. And then they have this land that protects it for free. Also, having Skrelv and Shieldred in the same deck has been real. Like, I don't think that this yeah. deck is the best thing or that it will be particularly playable in a mature standard format. But, but having Skrelv and Shieldred in the same deck has been very impressive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we've got these all these mid-range decks and they're battling it out with each other. And over the course of a match, you'll draw like 18 cards off of your Reckoner Bankbusters. It, in order to grind through a league with these mid-range decks, it takes a lot of mental fortitude <laughs> to just be able to sit there and and play these mid-range matches. So I am a little concerned about the translation of that into paper. We'll see how that goes. And um, you can see the draw to putting the Atraxa in your Arachidos decks. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. But another element that I want to talk about in these mid-range matchups is that I feel like some 
something that defines a good mid-range mirror is how important the board state matters. And I think that right now, the reason I'm enjoying these matches so much is that being having a board presence is really important and everything. And you can close out games where your opponent has generated a lot of value if you're able to maintain the board state better than your opponent can. Yeah. Because um, these value cards that people are playing, like the Corpse Appraisers and the Blood Tithe Harvesters, they attack for three, so you're putting pressure on your opponent and they're kind of must-answers at some point. You can't just ignore them forever. And even like the Wrecked or Bankbusters, they attack for four if you crew them. So you can just mm-hmm. like play your new value creature and hit them for four, and then all of a sudden they're at the lower life total. So I, I do like that element of these mid-range matchups where like there's game to be played that isn't just like I activated my Bankbuster more times than you. You actually have to maintain your board state, which which I like. Yes, I've seen a lot of games get lost by a player with six cards in their hand and a mm-hmm. Bankbuster with no counters on it, and their opponent just like still like has a tapped Blood Tithe Harvester that attacked the last turn, and then there's a Shieldred in play, and like oh the can't can't leverage these cards before my life total becomes zero. Yeah, yeah, Shieldred is a big part of that, and it's also a reason that I really like the. Grixis lists without Atraxa because Invoke Despair acts as a burn spell in a lot of ways. So being able to just like drain your opponent out with an Invoke Despair, even if they have seven cards in hand because they just landed their Atraxa, uh, is uh, a way that I've ended a lot of games. Yeah, and playing around the Invoke Despair or like making sure you have a board that's not like really vulnerable to it, you, you don't ever want to present a board that's like a shieldred and a four mana planeswalker go (laughs) in an invoke despair matchup like you need to be diversifying your stuff have a like keep a smaller creature in play before you like put that shieldred on the board on a turn where they might want to invoke that 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 has looked like a big part of what's going on in, in these matchups is don't give them that like killer invoke turn yeah and i think that's part of why these mono white mid range decks are playing sanctuary wardens is that these Sanctuary Wardens are actually like line up really well against the Grixis deck because mm-hmm. um, they have shield counters. It comes in with two shield counters, and usually you lose one of those, but like having that shield counter on your big thing and being able to make a 1-1 that you can sacrifice to like any sort of like edict effect, I've been really impressed with. But that said, kind of the rest of the mono-white deck is usually pretty susceptible to losing your entire board to invoke despair you know like you're, you're playing these planeswalkers in the eternal wanderer and the wandering emperor and you're relying on them a lot and then just like your opponent's like big thing just like makes you lose that andrew creature and you know maybe an enchantment that you have floating around or something I mean, so, and a lot of these lists also play ossification too right yeah so sometimes well, yeah, yeah. And your invoke despair gives you a creature back if they have an ossification they have to sacrifice or your wedding announcement, you know, if you have to sacrifice that, you're you're not happy. Uh, there's a lot of... I, I, I'm a big fan of Invoke Despair. Card is is very strong, for sure. Yeah. Lives up to its name when you cast it. <laughs> um, so, but, like, outside of the mid-range soup, uh, a couple of decks have popped up to try to combat that in the various ways that they want to. There are two and a half, like, go-under decks... Um, the mono red aggro deck is really strong. It's certainly not as strong as mono red has been in the past, but 
the mid-range stuff is just clunky enough that I think that it competes well. Invoke Despair is not a good card against the mono red deck. Yeah, it doesn't gain any life. <laughs> right. And like Reckoner Bankbuster, not a good card against the mono red deck. So the, if right. the, the number of those types of cards you have in your deck is pretty high because you're trying to win those mirrors, like that's the territory that mono red takes over. Yeah. What is the draw to mono red? Because I, I look at these deck lists and it's literally like 24 creatures with haste and a few burn spells. That's the draw. They yeah, all have haste. <laughs> if you're not drawn to that, then you won't understand. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I get it. It's just... <laughs> yeah. Kumano faces Kakazan is also like a wildly overstatted one drop. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I think the main draw is that the ones are powerful. You get to play Phoenix Chick, Monastery Swiss Spear, and Kimono Faces Kakazan, and those are all very strong ones in my mind. And the twos are lacking. The twos are not great, but, you know, they have haste, and they attack for two. <laughs> um, and then you have kind of a wannabe Rebel Master with Squee, and notably, this the Squee has escape, essentially, which is pretty important. So you have a little bit of inevitability there. And then, yeah, you get to play the Thundering Raiju, which is the, I think, the main draw to the deck. It's not exactly uh, the equivalent of the old Hellrider. Hellriders, um, but it, it's close, and it gets big. Is Thundering Raiju, like, your way to combat, like, a Shieldred? Are, are you trying to get around Shieldred somehow? Because... Yeah, I imagine if Shieldred stays down for a couple of turns, it's hard to. No, I mean playing. if your opponent if your opponent plays a Shieldred and gets into play and they're not dead that turn by burn spells, you you lose. So it's not it's not a, it's not a good look, really. So you're, that's that why everything can say is your goal. Your goal is just kill everyone before that happens. Yes, yeah. Your your goal is to kill them before that happens. And and your goal is to make Shieldred a four five blocker for four that mm -hmm. isn't enough to survive a turn. You know yeah. when they do cast it. Yeah. The the problem with this deck is that it does lose to sufficient interaction into one of those closers. And I think for that reason, this deck isn't going to be super successful or popular. Um, I mean, you do have Rebel Salvo for Shieldred, but if you don't have it immediately, or you're not killing them immediately... Or if you have your Rebel Salvo and they you know, cut down one of your creatures and then play a Blood Tithe Harvester and you're, like, not killing them because you drew a, a three-mana Terminate instead yeah. of threats. Yeah, exactly. But it does have affinity for equipment, so... Is that <laughs> yeah, uh, Nope. Nope. It's not, not text <laughs> in this deck, unfortunately. Rabbit Battery didn't quite make the cut. No, sadly. I, I did consider briefly when I was playing this deck uh, Hammerhand as a, something to get through these like big scary closers, but then I had Hammerhand in my deck and that was not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really plays into the removal side of things, which is the rest of their deck. I played against the, I think it's an, an Ashlizzle deck, but it was like mono red, but with like all of the treasury things. Oh, so and there's Atraxa. like, and then just Atraxa at the top end. I played against <laughs> it, but then they played a sticky fingers on a gold hound when I had a mana up and I cast cut down in response to sticky fingers. <laughs> so it mm -hmm. didn't work out great. I saw that list and I thought it was really cool, but definitely 
It's got some problems. <laughs> yes, um, of course. It, it's it's a meme deck, but <laughs> yeah, I do love how Atraxa is just this card that every every single archetype is like. I could play this four card, four color card. <laughs> no problem. It's probably worth it. Mono red. Uh, yeah, we got treasures. You know, we'll do it. Keep it. What it's seven the... damage. You just have to survive a turn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was the what was the f- limited format with all of the treasures? Streets new commander. Was the streets new commander? I just remember there being a limited format where. Just like colors didn't mean anything, and then everybody just like played all of the big top end cards that they could find because they they knew that they could cast them with treasures. I mean, Caldheim had some of that, right? But it was not treasure fueled. Yeah. Streets of New Capenna kind of looked like that's what was going to happen, but then it turned out that you just were dead by turn five most games, so you couldn't nice. do that. Yeah. <laughs> so my red, and then the other under go under kind of deck is Azorius Soldiers, and. It's just kind of like the white weenie variant of the format. You know, it's playing your soldier lords. It's playing your Thalia. It's playing some spell pierces. Playing some protect the negotiators. Yes. Yeah. It's got some good, powerful cards. The problem is that they all get cut down or shocked. So that that is my problem with it is that sky strike officer costs three mana and then cut down kills it for one mana yeah i mean exactly there's just no card in here that dodges cut down they're all three twos or two threes and that's tough that's a tough place to be when you are not getting cut down though it is really it it is a pretty impressive deck uh like siege veteran is an incredibly strong card if you're trying to just like play normal like combat based magic against them in any way and you just like can't kill it or you have to aim your removal spells at other stuff and then they're getting tokens or god forbid you just have a sweeper and that was your answer and the turn before you cast your sweeper they play siege veteran and it's just like oh well they'll still have four power in play after i cast the sweeper so yeah yeah for sure i i think that if there were like control decks that were good enough to keep the mid-range decks in check uh a deck like soldiers could thrive in that scenario because i agree i think that you know between thalia and siege veteran you've got a lot of these like anti-control elements to this deck spell pierce you know stuff like that the problem is that there's just aren't any control decks in the format which is really strange uh they the the control decks just can't exist when these mid-range decks are so good and uh i honestly think it's entirely a reckoner bankbuster problem yeah that makes sense like you're incentivized to play Bankbuster because it is good in these mid-range mirrors anyways. And as a control deck, when your opponent just slams down a Bankbuster on turn two and you didn't, you weren't on the play with a make disappear in hand or whatever, <laughs> like that you just are in trouble already. Yeah. Your cards also just like the card advantage cards in this format don't work with control decks as well as they work with mid-range decks, right? Yeah. Even Bankbuster itself wants you to play some creatures. Right. Right, because everything like deals some amount of damage, and so you want to combine it with other stuff that can deal damage to get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. And then one deck that's popped up more recently, like in just in the past week that I've seen, and I think it's been around a little bit more before that, but it's starting to pick up in popularity, is this mono blue haughty gin Talarian terror deck. Ah, uh, see, you must not have been playing through 
like bronze, silver, gold <laughs> arena ladder. Uh, no, because, I'm pretty oh primarily playing on Magical Line. Let me tell you, if you have to, if you're coming back to arena and playing some ladder, you gotta fight through some Hottigens and some Talarian terrors to to get back to the ranks. Yeah, they're around. I'm sure. Um, I mean, that's because there's like four rares total in the deck. Yeah, I think that deck is actually like pretty fine. It is. Yeah, fine. It, it, yeah it's fine and super cheap. That's why it's all over arena. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Hottigen with a mana up is just terrifying, and like I don't know that I've ever beaten Hottigen with a mana up, honestly. Yeah. Two iterations of this deck did really well in the most recent challenge. One was playing Ledger Shredder, and one was not playing Ledger Shredder. Just mm -hmm. as kind of like extra threats. But they were both essentially the same thing. Just like, you know, these interactive blue cards, and then eventually you get to five islands in play, and play Hottigen, and you've got some mana up, and you're not dead. Uh, and then you kind of just win from there. Um, Hottigen is large in the late game. Uh, I played a league with this deck, and I made the mistake of just like trying to slam my threats on curve, and that is not <laughs> how this deck is supposed to play. You're supposed to hold up <laughs> mana leak minus as long as possible, and then eventually, you know, you just like play your Hottigen in the in the late stages of the game, and and it wins. And it's a pretty good recipe when people are trying to slam like five mana value spells. The problem is you're really weak to blood harvest blood type harvester. Um, mm -hmm. especially if they can ever just get like multiple blood tokens in play. Hadijin does not do well against a blood type harvester, unfortunately. No, I think your goal in a lot of those games is to try to do a double Talarian terror turn and that often like mm -hmm. is really difficult for them to reclaim the tempo from. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do think that that deck is certainly a style that a lot of people enjoy playing, and it'll probably be around for a while, but it's it's very hard to play correctly, and if your mid-range opponent knows what they're doing and is patient, it it makes things really difficult for the for the blue decks. Uh, so sure. I think that the, this mono blue deck is like meant to prey on these mid-range piles. I'm just worried that they're not going to be as successful at doing that in bigger tournaments than they are going to be when you're just like grinding arena ladder or you know magic online leagues so we'll see how that this plays also out. has it's this deck still has my least favorite thing about mono blue decks in general which is your sideboard is still just counter spells and control magics like that's it <laughs> yeah and you're already playing the good counter spells in your main deck so yeah and um, some of the good control magics yeah yeah <laughs> I did see a really interesting sideboard card in one of these mono blue lists. Let's see if I can find it. I feel like oh, there should be more Reckoner Bankbusters in these blue decks, but yeah, I agree. I think Consuming Tide is the bounce spell, right? Yeah, it's so. It's like yeah, here we go. Each player chooses a non-land permanent they control. Return all non-land permanents not chosen to their hands. And then you draw a card for each opponent who has more cards in hand than you. Um, so kind of like an answer to, like, specifically soldiers, I guess. Um, which is a tough matchup for sure otherwise. But, yeah, I'm not sold. And then, yeah, the control magic is invoke the winds. And Blue Sun's Twilight. <laughs> yeah, Blue Sun's Twilight as a fable answer has also looked pretty good, too. Yes, yeah, that's that's fair. 
I, I do think the Blue Sun's Twilight is good. Blue Sun's Twilight mm-hmm. has shown up in a lot of Grixis lists as well, and maybe it's it's probably just there for Fable tokens mostly, and then sometimes you get to like copy and double their you know whatever creature they have in play. You get their corpse appraiser, and then you get one with an ETB. Right. I guess like stealing a shieldred too is also very strong. Yeah. Yeah. You're not gonna be able to copy that one, unfortunately. But um, uh, no. Uh, yeah, you get the discount on it if you don't copy it. Yeah, true. Yeah, you could spend <laughs> only six mana for it instead of mm. the seven that you have to do otherwise. I mean, we'll probably have a treasure token or two lying around by that point. Yeah, 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 for sure. So what do you think is the place of Atraxa in this format? Have you been happy with any of the lists with Atraxa yet? So, like, places where I've seen it have been, like, in a mid-range deck where you have to Cruelty of Gixit into play, basically. Yeah. There's there's no way to make the treasure. You're not attacking enough with a Fable in order to, to right. cast Atraxa. Uh, I've also seen versions that put, like, big score in their deck and stuff, and to me, that, like... It feels a little self-defeating to be putting bad cards into the deck that, that don't really coincide with your game plan in order to do this. <laughs> yeah. But then you can go like all the way to the other end of the spectrum and there are these like every single color leyline binding Atraxa decks uh, that also like often have the Kami War in them. The Kami are, War, like, yeah. The closest thing to a control deck in the format, but really they're like the gigantic mid-range deck, the biggest they're, thing they're you've the ever seen. Deck, essentially. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's all. It's mostly sorcery speed. Like they're just slamming spells and they have ley line bindings to try to double spell at some point in the game. Yeah. So I mean, I've played both iterations of Grixis with and without Atraxa. I think that that deck is better served not playing Atraxa at all. Mm-hmm. I think that you, if you're going to play Atraxa, you have to be able to cast it without the other card. Otherwise, sure. these top deck wars that you're hoping are going to happen suddenly become bad for you because you have all these bricks that you're top decking. Like you just like draw Atraxa and you're like very sad at that point. Like I yeah. have two Atraxas in my hand. This is supposed to be my top end, and, and it's really and seven lands in play, right? Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in order to be able to potentially cast it, you just have to butcher your mana base, and I don't like that. Right, because you have to play the color that it isn't, or right. you don't get Fable of the Mirror Breaker. And yes. So yeah, from there, yeah, these Grixis lists are not willing to give up Fables. That card is just, and where should they be? <laughs> Yes, no. yeah, and that card is just everything in standard right now. It's 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 like a four for one. It's crazy. Yeah, so you have to butcher your mana base, and then all of a sudden, when you're butchering your mana base, you have so many more lands that come to play tapped, and kind of that thing that I was talking about earlier, where the the being able to maintain a board presence is really important. You just start falling behind on all of these other like axes of the game. That I I I wasn't a fan of of that. You know, not to mention the fact that the just the Grixis deck on its own with the Invoked Despairs as the top end is so clean. Mm-hmm. The mana base is really clean. You know, you just never have problems casting your spells. You're rarely taking damage from your lands. The The card flow doesn't stop. You just always have access to resources. I, I just don't see a reason for Atraxa to exist in that deck. But, you know, people are doing it and, and winning uh, with, with, with the Atraxas in, in their lists. But I think that speaks more to the fact that the shell is busted than anything else. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I've played a reasonable amount with like Rakdos just with Atraxa and Cruelty of Gix stuck in. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely didn't really like come to a full on conclusion either way. But I often felt like, you know, like this is good and probably like I in I think I mostly just enjoyed the lines of using the cruelty of Gix to set up the making Atraxa happen yeah. one way or the other. Uh-huh. And, you know, you plan multiple turns ahead. You, like, have these positions of vulnerability that you're trying to guard. And so it made the, like, games really tense and fun. But probably, like, just playing invokes and, like, regular spells would have been just fine. And I would have yeah. won about the same number of matches or more. Yeah, and that that is kind of what I found is that uh, that experience that you had of like trying to set things up and think all these turns in advance and making sure like like oh I can play the cruelty and I can tutor for a big score so then my draw step I can cast the big score and discard the Atraxa and reanimate the thing like th- that is fun but you're trying so hard for mm-hmm. the value that you just get from invoke spare and God forbid your opponent invokes despair as your cruelty gets on your setup turn you know right and if your opponent was like attacking you that whole time and then they get a couple damage from an invoke despair and then they also like lay down a shieldred and then it's just like okay well now i can get this attraction into play but then i'm gonna die yeah so an opponent who is playing well against you there's a few different ways of combating it that don't even necessarily include stopping you from getting the attraction into play right and getting the other big element that that exists of the attraction is that getting the attraction into play is great but attraction is not sticky in any way it draws you a million cards but it dies to everything in the format you just go through a throat liliana minus it is just pretty easily removed so one another thing i noticed is that the games that you are able to land the attraction in they just go go on past that like i would like the game to end if i like reanimate my big big thing but instead my mm-hmm. big big thing like draws me a bunch of cards and then i have like seven cards in hand and my opponent maybe only they only have four cards in hand but each one of those cards is like worth two cards so i don't even really feel that ahead you know uh, the amount of time that i've attracted and been like the enchantment that I'm taking is the cruelty of Gix because I'm pretty <laughs> confident that I'm going to need to reanimate yeah. another attracts of this game. Yeah, this attracts so. is going to hit the bin. I'm going to take another five damage. And then what's my plan, right? Yeah. I haven't yet tried the Kami War deck, but I am excited to. Um, I think that deck looks very cool and gets to play some really good cards. Like the Leyline Binding, I am a little concerned about its mana base, but I'm I'm not giving up on it yet. It, it does get to play a lot of really cool cards. Uh, and you're right. It is like the control deck of the format. It's just like trying to go a little bit bigger. I think you do go third a lot with that deck. Mm. But I think you also can win a reasonable number of games that you go third in because you make up for it with the power of Leyline Binding and then like Kami War and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're playing a lot of cards that are catch-up cards mm-hmm. which is good to a certain degree like you know you play drag to the bottom as your like delirium sweeper play the ley line bindings as rule spells the kami war in and of itself is meant to be played on a board state where you're slightly behind and you know all that stuff is well and good but i don't really like conceptually in this format in particular just like planning to be slightly behind the whole game right on the board I really would much prefer to be the person who's like slightly ahead on board the whole game because I feel like good players 
are going to be really good at utilizing that like slight board presence to translate into a victory at some point. Um, and this Kami War deck is kind of like just like really planning on like having to play catch up the whole time. And, and I, I also don't think it goes big enough to make up for the board presence it's, it's yeah. giving up. No, that's that's fair as well. And like some of these lists, literally the only creature that you're playing is a Traxa. So like, how are you winning the game otherwise? I guess you have Fables and you've got well, the... Kami, Kami War does turn into a 6-6. Six, six. Yeah, I guess so, that's fair. You know. Yeah, yeah the, these, oh, these I don't sagas think, are... I don't think dealing good. the 20 is the problem. Like, uh-huh. you know... But I yes, I think the well, my total CMC of my hand is extremely high, and I have to play like three triumphs before I can cast any of it is is yeah. a problem. Right. Yeah. So I feel like no matter how big you go, you just have to be aware that if your opponent is on the invoke despair plan, you're under a a kind of different time pressure that isn't like value oriented. So. Uh, that's that's my main hesitation there. The like the reality of the Rakdos or Grixis deck is that one of its removal spells is also a three two that can attack. Its like card advantage thing is also a three three that can attack. Its main slam this down card is a card that deals two damage to you for every card that you draw, and your your life total is just under this constant pressure, and you need to yeah. be very aware of that with your deck building and your plays. Yeah. Um. And kind of for that reason. I really want to see uh, the mono-white decks adopt a little more incidental life gain. And I don't know where exactly that's going to come from, but I feel like I've been hearing that mono-white beats up on Grixis because it is able to go bigger, but I haven't really seen that in practice because of this, like, inevitability damage-based pressure stuff. I, I think that you do have some incidental life gain in like the Wandering Emperor, Exile, Sarah Paragon creatures dying and gaining, gaining some life and stuff like that. But uh, I do think that is uh, like, if I'm looking to add or change any of these card choices, I would love to see something that's just like a little more incidental life gain style. Yeah, I, I feel like the deck really wishes it could play, like, the Birth of Melitus over its, like, Ambitious Farmhand or yeah. uh, Spirited Companion slot. Oh, man, that card would be so good. I, I think the Incidental Life Gain just doesn't exist in the format right now, because yeah. these decks are playing Sunset Revelry in their sideboard, which yeah. is the... Uh... <laughs> the gain four if you're if you're losing on life right and that's kind of the concession to oh there's just like no life gain in our deck yeah like we we need the help so one card that i've been weirdly impressed by and you can't play it in mono white but it's a card that has been like slotted into the the blue white mind splice apparatus decks so it's i don't even remember the name of the card but it's like a two and a white mana instant that you draw a card then you gain life equal to the number of cards in your hand and I, I think it's justifying your point. Like life gain does help in this format because there is this weird like reach mechanic that that these black decks have where they just deal a few extra points every game off of their spells. And so some incidental life gain, you combine that with your regular suite of removal and interaction, and then you pad your life total enough. And that card has actually looked really impressive to me out of this deck that, you know, probably isn't a real deck. But that card, I've seen it cast and be like, oh, shoot, like 
that card was good enough to win the game here. Like, this game's probably over because they're not going to die to an Invoke Despair this game. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Union of the Third Path. Yes. That is that what it's Union called? of the Third Path, yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's definitely a very interesting element of this particular standard format that I haven't seen in the past quite as much. Didn't Rogue Refiner also gain two life or something silly? What, what, no, that just gave you two wow. energy. Oh, no, gave you two energy. energy. Is the thing. Yeah, Which yeah. you could convert into life via like Whirler Virtuoso. <laughs> yeah. Another card that is worth talking about, kind of in the similar vein of this life element, is one card that I've noticed a lot of these mono white decks playing the sideboard is uh, Skrelv's Hive, which is like the mm. bitter blossom of the format, but in white for some reason. It makes a 1-1 one, one toxic 1 creature at the beginning of your upkeep, but you also lose a life in your upkeep every time. When I initially saw this card, I was like, oh, wow, this is going to kill me. It's it's Bitter Blossom. But then it just didn't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they can't block. Yeah. And it's very slow. They don't fly either. <laughs> yeah. Nope. But they have they toxic. Have no evasion at all. They do have toxic, that which is not work as well as infect at breaking through a board yeah. and they do like the the getting lifelink once your opponent has three poison counters like that has like swung some games that i've played in and seen but not a lot of them and a lot of times it's just not a card that does yeah. anything at all it does necessitate that you have to bring in brotherhood's end in the match sure you can cast brotherhood's end potentially on the destroy artifacts mode and like keep your guys when that is happening right. yeah which they is are really bad artifacts. for them <laughs> um it's it's still weird to me that this only gives lifelink to creatures with toxic you control <laughs> well. hey so then if you're also running scrub 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 the scrub yeah actual scrub the, yeah. the namesake Skrelf. of the hive <laughs> yes yeah you can give your big things lifelink that way pretty cool yeah yeah <laughs> now, now you're synergizing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, Skrull's probably not a card that you want to play in a mid-range deck. So. No, you really want to be attacking a lot in order to make use of Skrull. Yeah. So there are a couple of decks that have not gotten a ton of traction yet, but do come at the metagame from a very sideways place. Uh, and so they're probably worth looking into if you want to potentially get an advantage over the mid-range scrum they're generally not very strong against the aggro decks that are around but they have some interesting angles to them and these are various versions of the mind splice apparatus deck i've seen some blue black i've mostly seen blue white versions running in my opinion way too many of the white sun's twilight but i guess it's just like how you close out your games but they have been pretty reasonable looking at just like you cast a decent amount of farewells you are able to interact well with these mid-range decks and that union of the third path is surprisingly good at keeping you alive um i've also seen the demir proliferate deck that's just like all instants and sorceries that give your opponent a poison counter and like kill a creature <laughs> or something and uh as long as you cast 10 spells before your opponent kills you you win the game <laughs> So maybe in a metagame that's like heavily mid-rangey and also isn't like that doesn't have that reach-based inevitability where like you're gonna take damage off of Shieldred and Invoke Despair and stuff. But 
it, it is a really funny way of killing somebody is just casting 10 spells that each do something and give them a poison counter <laughs> yeah no i do think that is worth exploring because it is pretty easy to cast 10 spells in a game of standard these days and you can't stop it like you can't remove poison counters or anything so yeah is that deck playing the new jace I don't think that there is a settled version of this deck. Okay. This is like a mid-rank ladder deck that somebody is playing to meme on people, but like, you know, you're on the draw and you your first play was going to be a removal spell and your second play was going to be a Fable of the Mirror Breaker, so you just like deal four damage to them and then die to poison <laughs> counters is what happens with this deck. Amazing. The real problem about that kind of list to me is that sometimes you, like, your cards don't all give a poison counter to start off. So sometimes you're just proliferating zero poison counters for Right, like, if if you just draw the Anticipate and the the Minus War, Minus War card, and those are, like, your first two spells that you have lined up Mm -hmm. for their first couple turns, it's like, well, guess I'm going to cast my two mana draw a card to give a poison counter before I do anything. Yeah. (laughs) And that kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm I I saw the Jace that I brought up in a Grixis list recently, and I think that that card might be a card that is currently underexplored in a lot of different blue decks. Because do go on the graveyard will get up to twenty cards in these games, and then all of a sudden your Jace minuses and draws you three cards. Um, and also, if you just like have infinite resources, I'm I think that the mill plan could just work i played against an opponent who played founding the third path and then jace and by like turn six or something i was just like oh there are 20 cards in my graveyard because i've been casting spells and stuff and then their jace is just minus to draw three cards and i could not possibly keep up with that and then i got out carded and there was just no way for me to deal with my opponent it was it was pretty cool i don't know that founding the third path is the way to get there (laughs) but i have been on the receiving end of like jace four mana comes down minus two draw three cards like uh, yeah okay all right yeah it it could be real i i don't know (laughs) exactly where it belongs but uh that's a card that i want to keep my eye on just generally moving forward as like a potentially mirror breaker style card just in these games that is just infinite resources being traded all the time it's also kind of revitalizing mill in modern which means that there's like some amount of power packed into that it's a good card whether you can totally leverage that in standard like there's there's juice to be squeezed out of it yeah, CCR, are you also getting mill pilled? I'm not gonna play mill, but I will <laughs> recognize that I think mill is a fine choice to play this weekend. That's what he said about solitude a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> I've always respected the power of solitude. It took me a while to pick it up. Yeah. I unlikely to play mill at any point, but I think that it's a totally defensible choice. People, I, I've run against uh, quite a bit. I was tuning up eight rack in modern for a coaching client recently and i played against mill several times and a emerkel ended up in the sideboard of that deck so yep <laughs> it's a you know it's a real consideration for sure i i did see at the rcq this weekend uh someone who just normally plays mill or normally plays burn 
mm-hmm. like every tournament was playing mill this tournament. I'm like, oh, that's it's that's it's cute. Just, just burned just for a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that like what Dom was saying on on his last podcast about this deck that like mill gets a lot of crap. Some of it may be rightfully so, but some of it is just like. You know, there are mill players at your store, you know, like the mill guy. And generally the people that like main mill are people whose focus is not being the best magic player in the room. Like they're there to have a good time. They like milling. And so like a lot of times the deck is not going to get very much respect because a lot of times the people who are playing it are not the the scary end boss players in the room. And I think that can make it kind of stealthy that like once mill starts becoming good, it's like nobody really believes it until it like wins a big tournament or whatever. I, I think that we've passed that threshold. I think that the mill deck that exists right now in, in modern is good. It's, it's yeah. really good. Um, I agree. There are a lot of traps that people are falling into with it that the good players won't fall into and they end up picking up the deck and that, Trap is mainly surgical extraction. <laughs> when all of those leave the main deck... Wow, it's always surgical extraction. It's going <laughs> to really unlock things for Mill. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that wild? I don't know. Yeah. See, I have definitely been, like, destroyed by the surgicals out of game one. But I am also generally playing decks that, like, yeah, if they mill my thing that they can surgical, my deck's not going to do anything. So Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. But yeah, I mean, I I do think that right when, once once people stop assuming that surgical extraction is a good milk card because it gets three cards out of your opponent's library sometimes, <laughs> um, I think yeah, I think that mill is gonna succeed in in that in that way. the 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 cards are that they've printed for mill recently that are seeing play in it are very strong and mill a lot of cards. Yeah, um, yeah. Chase is like one of the better ones too. Yeah, somebody casts uh, the mill. See until you hit CMC fifteen or twenty or whatever it is. That's Tasha's hideous laughter. Tasha's yeah. hideous laughter. Yeah, somebody cast that against me. I had twenty seven cards in my deck, and I died just on the spot. Yeah, because you were playing a good deck. So <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah. Okay. But oops, you know. It's one of the benefits of putting a bunch of like solitudes and omnaths in your deck. You you up that. You artificially inflate your CMC. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, it's a, you're still going to eventually lose the mill because you can't close the game out for the game. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that. Well, yeah, it's the endurances. You got to have like the full like package of four endurances to, to get there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but mill's around. Yeah. And that Jace is one of the good cards in the deck. It's yeah. uh, It kind of fits the bill for me for everything that a Planeswalker needs to be good which is it has the ability to both protect itself and generate value each turn. And you can cast it for three mana, apparently enough. So, Yeah, and it gives you a real benefit for when you do cast it for four. Like, the, yeah. the extra two loyalty on that chase makes a big difference. Yeah. But it's still obviously good at three when that's where your curve needed it to be. Right. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of these standard mirrors, I've just been keeping an eye on deck size. It never really comes down to that unless, you know, people are really playing cards to make it come down to that. But I, I have noticed that people hit sub 30 cards in deck almost every game. And mm-hmm. that's just two Jaces. Yeah. Something to think about. 
Ooh, I don't know if we talked about this standard deck yet, but um, <laughs> one of the go big options for standard players is Skitter Beam Battalion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that the red the red um, prototype card? I yes, it is. This is a little bit of a last gen deck, but the <laughs> the the concept of it was still like I want to go bigger than Rakdos and Grixis by playing these power stone making cards and other rampy things and casting my prototype creatures. And, and you know, those cards are all still legal. Yeah. Um, the my stone and weak stone is a good ramp spell. It does things when it comes into play and lets you cast a cityscape leveler or skitter beam battalion pretty quickly. Yeah. And especially when you're casting your might stone on turn four, after doing something with a power stone, or maybe you were able to attack with a fable token or something, the ramp, is pretty large. Um, yeah, I do. I do feel like it really wishes that it had a more pushed, like three mana power stone maker available to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like how a lot of decks like really benefited from decent cards that make a treasure existing. Yeah, like I'm. I'm thinking of like innkeeper or whatever. Just like, oh, here's like a playable card that makes a treasure. Lets you cast this for a turn early. And if you had something for three mana that like actually contributed to your game plan and made a power stone rather than just like draw two cards, discard a card. All right, well, <laughs> holy crap! You cast a fable the turn that I'm casting this card. Like, good luck to me, I guess. Uh, yeah. Or like three damage to something. Yeah, something decent would have would make a really big difference to this deck. Is there a deal three damage to a creature, make a power stone? Yeah, that's card? that's the other option. But so mm-hmm. like at, at least it that's affects the board, but it's such a medium like cost to effect ratio. Like you're still not ahead if if they cast Fable and then you kill it with your whatever it's called excavation explosion or whatever. Like yeah, you got your power stone, but they're they're doing stuff to you one card that i've seen a lot of people play in that slot is thran spider yes um you also give your opponent a power stone but thran spider they mostly can't use it yeah i uh i was really impressed with that card it just kind of when i played against it it just kind of like sat in play and just brick walled my my attacker's uh like i I never found a braid for it and or when i did find my braid i wanted to kill their you know bank buster or whatever else they had in play i guess that is the card that i'm talking about like it's the close like you get a two four and that's that's Mm -hmm. okay that's acceptable in that spot yeah it's got reach it's great only bad thing about it is that this if you ever play a second one like their bank busters are free now like the card draw yeah 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 i guess paying for their bank buster is that's probably the biggest thing that they can use a power stone for yeah Bankbuster, and then also cracking blood tokens. I mean, Cityscape Leveler is a hell of a card, so being yes. able to just cast those early and often does seem powerful. I, yeah, I do think that there's some, some consideration to this being a good go-over-the-top deck, but we shall see. I think if it's cards on the low end or a little stronger, it would it would be a good option. Yeah. And right now, I don't think it's there. Crucially, the thing that makes this deck a good go-over-the-top option is that it's go-over-the-top stuff is a lot of pressure. Like, Skidderby Battalion yeah. attacking you for 12 right. on the turn it comes down is kind of the key to success for it being good against Grixis. It's because, like, if you otherwise just, like, you know, did something else big for 9 mana, but it didn't win you the game immediately or something, 
Gertrude is going to be able to kind of plow through that with card advantage. But just like the pressure that it puts on is large because um, you always are threatening to unearth your cityscape leveler and, and eight them, um, which is also just an absurd amount of pressure <laughs> for a, a flashback unearth card. <laughs> so I, I, I will just provide the caution that like, this was the answer to last standards format for like a week and a half. And then it just disappeared off the face of the earth in that standard format. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know. Obviously we're not operating under the exact same rules in the standard format, but that is what happened last time when this like appeared for the first time. Yeah. Do we know why that happened or it just kind of people just figured out how to play against it? I, yeah, I, I don't know if it was more that like people leaned into the pressure of the mid-range decks or learned how to play against it, played more, you know, make disappears and put a couple of disdainful strokes in their sideboard or whatever. But it's probably probably one of those things that you can like adapt to relatively easily if you're aware of the fact that you need to beat it. But that doesn't mean it's not a deck you 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 can just you can't just show up at a weekend and be like, oh, this was right for this weekend because people weren't prepared for it. Like, that can yeah. happen, too. Yeah, that's fair. And notably, the deck cannot gain any life, really. So, um, <laughs> you know, as long as the mid-range <laughs> players are recognizing that they also have to grind out 20 points of damage over the course of the game, that's uh, that's relevant. Right, right. One of the criticisms of the, the mono white deck was that it didn't have enough incidental life gain. That is it ramp deck is probably also not going to get there. No. <laughs> yeah, sadly. Yeah, uh, Shieldred is the best life gain card in the format by an enormous amount. So, Yes, and that card gains a lot of life. Yeah, it really does. You just have your blood tokens sitting there and then they all gain you two life. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. I guess I'm... Because I'm not burning you out this game, huh? Um, also, the most recent iteration of Grixis. And Chris, earlier you mentioned not wanting to put big score in your Grixis deck because it's not that great. The most recent iteration of Grixis that I played had two big scores in the Invoke Despair version of Grixis, mm -hmm. interestingly. And I think that the reason for that was that it was also running Galvanic iteration as like part of its plan <laughs> to go over the top. So I, I recently was able to have a Shieldred in play and copy a big score with a Galvanic iteration. <laughs> yes. My life total sword. <laughs> that is disgusting. The flip side of that, though, is when your opponent plays Shieldred and you have a big score in your hand. You have oh, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. <laughs> I, I have seen lists just browsing that had like one big score in it. And I was like, that's a good number. I like that number. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is probably? Drawing a big score off of your big score is one of the most miserable experiences in all of Magic the <laughs> Gathering. Yeah. Yeah, I was playing one of big score in the Shieldred version of Black Red slash Grixis uh, as like a tutor target for the one situation where I had Shieldred in hand and mm -hmm. wanted to... Atraxa in hand. Yes. Yeah. Um, Atraxa in hand and wanted to figure out a way to reanimate it next turn after I played my... Um, uh, Gix card. Mm -hmm. um, All Phyrexians are shielded now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All Phyrexians yeah. are Elish Norn. If like the the heart of this set is to be believed. Oh God. Yeah. Every time I see a like vaguely white card that is like the new style art, I just assume it's an Elish Norn. But I've been wrong a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Standard. Yeah. So Good what time. are you? 
just to, to wrap this up with a couple of questions, what are you excited to explore next? And what are you like the most optimistic about overall going forward? Yeah, I think, well, I, I, I'm still in the middle of my, like, how exactly do I want to best play and build the Skrixis deck? I, I guess I wouldn't say that that's next for me because I've been doing that a lot recently. Um, gotcha. And I feel like I've kind of landed on something that I like there, which is the Invoke Despairs and the Galvanic Iterations. I do want to put in a reasonable amount of work into just kind of like maybe a couple of matches with the Kami War. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there might be something there as like the ability to outgrind everybody else. So I think I'm probably next going to be looking at these Kami War decks, just like seeing if it is possible to go over the top in that way. Although a Galvanic Iteration Invoke Despair does seem like it goes over the top of a Kami War. So Yes, no, that's fair for sure. But mostly I'm just trying to figure out, yeah, the best way to build these Grixis decks. There's a lot of cards in the Grixis deck that I haven't tried yet that seem like they should belong um, mainly, uh, I've seen very little graveyard trespassers just at mm-hmm. all in standard, and that card is really good and should probably yeah. be respected more. And if games are coming down to reach, then having that life gain is helpful. Yeah, and it's a sticky threat, um, mm. which is nice. It has incidental life gain. It, it can get your opponent's attractions out of the graveyard when you need the when you need it to, which is really nice. It's annoying to remove. You have to remove your opponent's creatures, I think, in this format. Definitely a little disenergy with Corpse Appraiser that I'll have to think about. Because particularly in the Grixis Mirror, there are usually one to two creatures in the graveyard at any time. Which is very little, considering how many cards hit the graveyard in these decks. But it's just like, you know, each deck plays four Blood Tithe Harvester, four Corpse Appraiser, two Shieldred, and that's it. Sure. And they're always getting exiled here and there by various things. Um, so I don't know if there's going to be a ton of targets for a Graveyard Trespasser. Uh, and that might be a reason why it doesn't exist right now as much. I mean, it is a three, so you may be trimming some number of Corpse Appraisers for them or something like that. Mm, yeah, and that sounds not great. <laughs> um. <laughs> Gotta cut something, but yeah. Your your 3-3 three, three that cast strategic planning is pretty good in your mid-range deck. Yeah. I've tried Mono Red, and I, it's fine. I consistently did well with it, all the while thinking that the deck was very, very medium, which I guess is just Mono Red these days. And I am very skeptical of the Soldier's deck. I don't think that it is good. Oh, another deck that I need to put a lot more time into is Mono White. Uh, that's probably the next big thing that I want to put a lot of time into is that I've played a good amount of the other mid-range decks. I've played a good amount of Esper as well as Grixis. And the white cards are good. So I do want to try playing more mono-white just to see how I feel on that side of things. Most of my experience has been against mono-white. No, the white cards are good. Like They have strong spells at every point in the curve. Mm-hmm. They have really interestingly powerful removal spells in like ossification and laydown arms that can really only be played in a mono white deck and like really cute synergies like if you can justify the kind of slow ish gameplay patterns that you know restoration of a ganjo gives you like it has really powerful things like 
restoration and then bring back an ossification to like kick back some of that mana to you on the next turn like has been powerful sequences but you know you do have to solve that macro problem of the deck of just like my boards don't match up super well against invoke despair a lot of the time and yeah. and other things about the format yeah and that's been my main criticism of this deck is that like i i the the biggest thing that i'm looking for in a mid-range deck is just something that can supply small but relevant pressure consistently throughout most stages of the game. I want to have a good two drop that is pressuring my opponent. I want to be able to, you know, continually like add to the board in, in, in small, but you know, ways that can't be ignored. I think that is the key to these kind of like mid range strategies and mono white usually is playing from behind. And I wonder if there's anything to be done about that. I don't know. All of the two mana creatures have one power in this deck, and that makes me sad. Yeah, I think that's a thing that the deck really wants to fix. The problem is after playing with Blood Tithe Harvester, <laughs> like playing any other <laughs> mid-range deck that has access to worse two, like they're a lot worse than Blood Tithe Harvester. Yeah. And yeah, they don't sure. transition based on the type of game that you're playing in the same way. I really wish there wasn't so much disenergy with Thalia in this mono-white deck. I would love to play Thalia in a deck mm -hmm. that was more than just soldiers. And maybe that exists. And maybe it's not the worst to put Thalia in this deck. You do run a decent amount of good creatures, but you also run a, like all of your best cards or spells. Yeah, um, it's tough to not cast Wandering Emperor on turn four, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Wandering Emperor is your best, is like one of the best cards in the deck. And even just stuff like Wedding Announcement and Bank Buster, like if you're if you're taxing yourself on those and they're part of your curve, it's going to be tough. But yeah, so yeah, probably next up for me is Mono White. I have been enjoying Midrange Soup. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't really think that I want to try to break out of it, mostly just because I, I just don't see the tools existing to be able to break out of it. So I just want to be the best prepared to play that kind of game. And yeah, an another thing that I really want to explore is a more graveyardy centric Grixis style list. And, and uh, the card that makes me interested in that is Jace. The new Jace yep. seems really interesting to me as a mirror breaker potentially. So definitely an angle I'm hoping to explore soon. Yeah. Well, lots of interesting stuff. We will keep abreast of developments in Standard as time goes on. Actually, so plan for next week is we're going to have Nick Price come on and the Southeast Asia regionals are actually this weekend. So we will be talking oh, wow. about Standard results from a big, you know, regional championship next week. And that should give us some insight and we can go from there. Cool, cool. Unless either of you have anything else, I think that's probably it for today. No, I think that's a good wrap. No, I think this was a good look at standard. Cool. I, I couldn't shoehorn in, you know, the Wandering Emperor or the Eternal Wanderer plus uh, the Mightstone Weakstone. Because <laughs> all your were about how you know bad the the early curve was, and that didn't really seem to help. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that solves the deck's problems. Yeah. Yeah, the it's, deck is, it's very good at doing a lot of crazy stuff once you hit a, a lot of lands. But you, yeah, you do gotta get there. Well, Collins, thank you for stopping by. I am sure that everyone appreciated it. It is always a treat. Listeners, thank you so much for hanging out. Have a great week. Peace. Bye.